Chances are you rolled your eyes when you saw the title of this podcast episode. Don't give yourself the option to live with bad credit. You're thinking, yeah, right. I wish. Unattainable goal right there. Our guest today, Brooke Tallinger, lives by that, uses that as a motivator to keep herself on track financially. She'll be on the show today. We're also going to give you the biggest misunderstanding with overdraft protection in our No Dumb Questions segment. And should you encourage your kids to work for free to get an internship? Advice for parents in our Seat at the Kids Table segment. Thank you so much for being here, part of our Seven Figures family. Thank you for subscribing. That means the world to me, for sharing the episodes with a friend. Hey, it's Women's History Month. This is our month. We got to help each other, gently push each other out of our comfort zone. You know, if money makes you feel anxious, overwhelmed, you got to fight through it because there is nothing better than the feeling of knowing that everything is going to be okay. To give yourself that peace of mind is incredible. We're here to support each other and learn all of this together. So before we invite Brooke Tallinger on with us, let's start the show with no dumb questions. All right, no dumb questions. CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management. Erica Cummings is here. She has her own podcast too, by the way, A Strong Woman for Strong Women. You can check that out wherever, you, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right, so many people have uh, a major misconception about overdraft coverage and charges and fees and everything that's tied into that. Not too long ago, a couple episodes ago where we had Steve and Christy on, he even admitted to that. He didn't realize that having a bank credit card tied to that overdraft, it pulled from his bank credit card. He didn't realize there was a fee attached to that because whether they didn't explain it to him clearly enough, or maybe it was just so much information. He was on information overload and he, he missed that explanation. So can you run down everything we need to know about the overdraft? Yes. Yeah. So in, in the situation you just described, and that, that's, this is, that's kind of an offshoot from where we typically see overdraft fees. But in his case, what the bank did was he had an overdraft in his checking portion and had a credit card attached to that checking account. And then they went into the credit card to pay the overdraft. That's basically like you're going to an ATM and you're taking cash off of your credit card, which we all know is very expensive. So there's usage of a credit card and then there's usage of your card to take actual cash out. And knowing we know that that costs so much more than just using a normal credit card. But typically when we see overdraft fees, they're charged to some type of a bank account. And it really is just when you don't have enough cash in your account to cover a payment that you've made. So either you wrote a check or you, you have a payment that went out. The average right now is about $34. So as soon as you, you, unless you have overdraft protection, which is something you can talk to your bank about, but frequent overdrafters, so people that end up overdrafting, they average almost $450 or more in overdraft fees every year. Mm, and someone who's not enrolled in an overdraft protection program. We see this a lot with people that get paid 
different amounts. So whether they, you know, they're commission based or they're, uh, you know, they're working overtime at times and their bills are set up at the wrong time. Sometimes it's something that can be pretty quickly addressed or you can work with your bank to get some type of overdraft protection. But essentially, anytime you don't have enough money to cover a withdrawal or a payment, then you they're going to pay it anyway. And that essentially yields a negative balance in your account. Usually when that happens, they're going to charge you for this transaction, and that's what's known as an overdraft fee. And this is where you can really start to get into this snowball effect, because all of a sudden, every, now let's say it's, a, it's also a check you wrote. So now you're getting an overdraft fee, potentially, because you dug into your bank account. And then potentially, if they, let's say they don't cover it because you don't have overdraft protection, they may decline the, the check and now you're paying for a bounce check fee on top of it. So it can end up in the hundreds of dollars over the course of, of a year. So when you think of you know, kind of ways to avoid this, I can't stress this enough because you're literally just throwing money out the window every time you do this. And it really boils down to making sure that you have a good idea of your expenses. So make sure you're signing up for online banking. It's the quickest way for you to monitor what's coming in and going out. I still use an old school check registry. All 46 years of me still <laughs> loves pen and paper. And I do that because there are many times where you could look at my account and it looks more flush than it really is. Yeah, well, I know that true. there's certain payments coming. So you really wanna make sure that you're tracking your expenses and like I said, you can track them online or just use a good old fashioned check. Yeah. Well, this is what it, it reinforces the fact that, you know what, whatever works for you, there is no yes. one way to do it. There yeah. are a few wrong ways to do it, but there's no one way to do it. So find what feels right for you, but just keep yeah. track of that money. Don't lean on that overdraft. Okay. Yeah. Erica, how can we uh, find you and, and follow you? You can find me on our website, harmonyfinancialwellness.com. That will also be where our podcast is located and any blogs that we're doing. You can reach out to me via email, erica.cummings at rbc.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Don't give yourself the option to live with bad credit. Brooke Talinger has advice for fellow young adults next. Welcome, Brooke Tallinger, Manager of Business Development for Elder One, an affiliate of Rochester Regional Health. So you are 29 and you already got all your stuff together. You know that finances are important. It doesn't feel overwhelmed. <laughs> look at the look you just gave me. <laughs> well, you, you're on the right. You're on the right path. You know it's something that you yeah. should prioritize. Right. Exactly. Um, I had took a big interest in this myself when I got out of college because I was faced with some student, some, some significant student loan debt, um, and really have just been trying to plan and be proactive about saving and all those good things right from 22. Now there's a lot of people that I have talked to in your age group, even younger, um, who just kind of throw up their hands and say, well, you know what? Um, I'm always going to have debt. I'm always going to have student loans. That's just how life is. And it was even in one of my daughter, my daughter is a high schooler, even in one of her classes, her teachers come, her, one of her teachers commented that you will always have debt. You will always live with debt. And I'm like, 
No, don't ever say that. Like I understand right. good debt, a mortgage and all that, but don't tell the kids that now. Don't lay that kind of foundations that really irked me. So what was it for you that made you think, no, this is not the way that I want to live? So I um, was living in Boston after college and I had a long commute to work. So, and as we know, Boston traffic is infamous, if you can uh, even imagine. Um, so there was quite a long time that I was in the car and with all the, the tunnels in Boston, you'd lose service to your radio, you'd lose your connection. So I was like, all right, something's got to give. I got to do um, books on tape and um, living in Boston, trying to make ends meet. I was like, I may as well give it a go to get a book on tape about finances. Oh. And um, that's certainly where I found um, Susie Orman, my my girlfriend that got me through <laughs> Got me through my 20s. Does she know she's your girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, right. We're on a first name basis, actually. Um, she was so helpful in kind of laying out good tools for women in particular. Um, but she, the first thing I remember learning was having good debt and bad debt. Hmm. Student loan debt is, is good debt. Um, and a mortgage is good debt. Well, at 22, I only had one of those. So I knew every other debt that I... Um, had or could potentially have was something I wanted to ignore. I didn't actually open up a credit card until I was 26. Oh, wow. And I did that because, yeah, I did that because all of my student loans were able to um, build good credit, build good rapport, um, and helped me enough. And renting, you know, apartments and things like that all helped my credit score, if you will. But um, I just knew it was bad, and I knew until I was of an age and a level of responsibility I could manage it myself, I just held off. Um, and so learning good debt and bad debt um, was something that was really important for me because it's overwhelming and it's daunting yeah. to have all, you know, student loan debt when at such a young age. But what's important is to try to, um, you know, certainly just make sure you don't have any additional debt that helps that that could make you spiral out of control and yeah. um, get you in a bad situation. Now, looking back, if you were to give advice, you know, in your wise years of 20, in your late twenties, <laughs> um, if you yeah. were to give advice to somebody just entering into college, you know, about to take on this big loan or this debt, what would that be? Get a job. <laughs> any job that you possibly can in college. Um, I made popcorn for four years in a row at basketball games. <laughs> and still to this day, the smell of popcorn just completely nauseates me. So I, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. It was just a way to make a little extra money on the side. And, and a lot of my friends in college too had even, you know, um, they had just off of campus. I was limited because I played volleyball in, in college. So being a student athlete, it was really um, very demanding um, in terms of time management. So I couldn't go off campus, but what I could mm -hmm. do was watch my friends play basketball and got paid yeah. to do it. You know, it was kind of one of those things you have to get creative and um, anything that you can to try to save some money um, and not blow it all at the bar on the weekends was something that I knew I had to do. <laughs> we'll see now right there. That's hard. That right there, I feel like if you're going to go down this path like you have and, and, and tackle this debt quickly, 
you have to have discipline, right? You have to be able to say, oh, no, 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 no. I want to hang out at the bar with my friends, but I should really apply the money to something else. How do you have that discipline? Well, there is nothing that you can really prepare, you know, someone at 17 or 18 when they're signing their life away to go to college and signing their life away to, for all these student loans. There's really nothing that I could have heard at that age that would have made me feel the way you feel when six months after graduating, your first bill comes in for student oh. loans. You know, there's nothing that my parents could have said differently. You know, they tried to say, you know, this is significant. This yeah. is, you know, something that you're going to have to work through. You know, we, we're going to help in every way we can, but um, prepare yourself for this. There's nothing you can do to prepare at that age. Um, and what I would also, um, so what I would just advise for folks that are young, young students that are, they know that this is impending six months after graduation, just try to put an X amount of dollars aside in preparation to pay for those student loans. So when they do come, they're not so scary. Um, I tried to save $500 a month um, just out of a good measure to prepare myself for um, student loan you know, payments to be yeah. due. It's depending on where you live, it could feel like a second rent you're paying. It mm -hmm. could feel like, you know, um, it, it really could change um, your plans. Um, you could have to get another job. I, um, at one point, was working three jobs out of college mm -hmm. at the same time just to, but, but that was my choice to live in a city. You know, a lot of people choose to move back home, and I commend, them. I commend their family for, uh, you know, giving them that space and that, that security. Um, it just wasn't for me, and, you know, I love my family, but I just wanted to be on my own. I wanted to be in a big city. Um, and to do that, I had to work a nine to five. I had to waitress and I had to coach on the weekends. So it was kind of one of those things you just, you yeah. got to keep hustling. Yeah. But you were, uh, you had to give up a lot. So, yeah, yeah, but it was worth it for me. It was worth it. I knew I wanted to um, be in that big city. I knew I wanted to, um, be on my own and be independent. And that starts with financial independence. Now, are you back home? Did you move back? You moved back, obviously. Yes, I'm in Rochester. Yeah. Your mother did Pardon? enough praying. Your mother prayed every day. Yeah. Come back, Brooke. Come back. Yes. Yes. No, fortunately we are back. Um, my husband and I just bought our first house. Um, and so we're really excited. We're happy to be back. Oh, congratulations to you. Now, how was that? Okay, so let's go transition into this because how long have you been married? We've been married, um, it'll be two years in September. Ah, uh, well, so about still, a year and a half. Still newlyweds. I love it. Congratulations. Yeah. Now, how was that coming Thank on the you. same page? Like, was he in the same mindset as you were? Because, you know, you were pretty focused on making sure that you're, you're budgeting in the right way. Right, right. Now, I could be biased, but I grew up with just my sister and I, and um, I, you know, just am fascinated. Every day, my husband surprises me with some of the things that he um, just didn't think about, you know, and I wonder if that, you know, I don't know if that is um, just our personalities. He's just very laid back and easygoing, and, you know, it'll it, when it comes, it comes, it happens, it happens, and I'm like, yes, that's my see, worst nightmare. I'm like a big right. planner. <laughs> right there and that's I the mentality like, so many people have the same mentality as your husband okay I'll deal with it when I deal with it 
Okay. Yeah. That drives you and me nuts. So how did you pull him in, rein him in and say, listen, we get a focus here. Right. Right. So we worked on a budget. Um, when we first moved in together two years before we got married, it was, it's hysterical now to look back, but it was like two worlds colliding of like, Oh boy, (laughs) something's got to give, you know, it was one of those, (laughs) it was one of those things that I was like, now, if you were to look back in the last month, like if you could just guess what, what you spent, it was a mystery. So it was one of those things that, um, his parents were very, um, hands-off when it came to finances and that that's wonderful. It worked for them. Um, but if he felt that going to college, he didn't have a debit card of his own, he shared a credit card with his parents. So there was no real sense of budgeting and no real sense of when the money's gone, it's gone. I opened up my first debit card, um, when I was, uh, 18 before I went off to college and we sat down my, my dad and I actually sat down and every single month we would have a conversation, even in college about what I was spending at the time I wanted to kill him. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is overwhelming, but it ended up being so helpful because it made me more cognizant of, yeah, I don't need to be spending this much on X, Y, and Z. I have yeah. or food. Even I have a meal plan, you know, what am I doing buying coffee or buying this or buying that? Um, So my husband and I had to really work on a budget and a budget can sound really overwhelming and it can be really scary. Um, But if you take it month by month and what ended up working for Nick and I, we actually did week by week. So we were able to break it down. You know, if we only had a hundred dollars for a week, could we hold on to that? Do we have, do we have direct deposits being, um, or excuse me, um, direct, you know, bills being taken out? Like, kind of planning what a week would look like within the month. And that was less daunting for him, but it was, it was just hysterical. You know, we, we have a rule of thumb here too. And, and not to, you know, micromanage anyone. We share finances now, but it was helpful for him to hear, okay, anything over like a hundred dollars, let's talk about, you know, before just willy nilly um, spending it. And, and then looking back and saying, Oh, sorry. I didn't think about it. It was just $300. And I'm like, just $300. You know, like that to me is worth a lot. And I think that um, is really important. Like, I feel like you're almost qualifying why you did it by saying, you know, it's not micromanaging. No, absolutely. I think everybody should set those rules and boundaries and you could adjust them as you, you know, earn more income or as the family dynamics change a little bit, but you have definitely got to set that from the get-go, I think. And kudos to your husband for letting you um, slap him into shape. I don't know. How do we say this? <laughs> how do we say this nicely? <laughs> Get his butt in gear. That's exactly what it was. And that was him. But yes, absolutely. I just, I think it's just, he didn't have to think about it. So he, as you know, kind of transitioning from a college student to a young adult. to now I feel like we're, I feel like we're a 50 year old married couple at this point because of things we taught, we have to worry about with the house. Um, <laughs> But I just feel like having those conversations are much more productive than having the conversation in hindsight, like, oh, well, there went yeah. $500 on something, you know, like I'd much rather talk it through together, communicate about it and kind of deal with a game plan. Cause it, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we we're in this together. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a couple of people on the podcast have mentioned that before guests that we've had on, you got to think of it as a team and gosh, it is such an incredible, we are emotional beings, right? As females, let's just face it, but let's, let's focus on the emotion. It is such an incredible emotional relief when you know that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. When everything is set, you have the table set, you know exactly what needs to be done. It's just an incredible feeling that everybody should get to that point. And everybody can, no matter how much money you're earning, because you're still young in your career. So, I mean, this isn't the, the tippy top of how much you can earn anyhow, and you can still manage it. Um, are there systems that you guys follow besides the weekly budgeting? Are there other systems that maybe we can adopt in our own? Um, I, what we do, um, is review at the end of the month. And I know it, it cracks my dad up because it was something that I always complain that he, um, instilled in me from, from the 18 to 22 year old me. Um, but we really, at the end of the month, take time to review the last month. Um, because that way you catch little things that you may not catch. Mm. Um, for example, one time I accidentally signed up for, um, you know, those accounts that you're like, for me, it was shoes. I am my mother's (laughs) daughter, but every month, regardless of if you buy shoes, they charge you $30 or something like that. Those things I was able to counter than if I was just doing a year in review of my finances or checking it, you know, every so Uh often, um, you catch things that maybe could be fraudulent. You catch things that you could have signed up for by mistake. Um, and it also makes things more apparent to say, do I really use, I'm just putting an example of Spotify, do I really use Spotify enough for me to pay $12 a month? Is it really something I need at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, things that could be um, a goal for in the future you work towards and you save up for. Um, but I, we found it very helpful to do kind of a month in review, um, to sit down and it, you know, it only takes 10 minutes you pull up your bank statement. Nowadays, it's like quick, quick, you know, you don't have to do much um, heavy lifting to get your bank statements or even, you know, see where your money's going. And for us, it works really well to do a month in review. I love that. Are there any apps that you guys use that that you could recommend? Or do you guys really just do pen and paper? And we're so we're we're old school. We love pen and paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know people have suggested great apps in the past. Um, and I'm really like hot out of the gate with the apps, but then I find as time goes on, I'm like, Oh God, I, I, you know, you get really excited about it for the first couple months. And then you're like, I'm just going to go back to paper. Yeah. I mean, whatever works for people though. Um, it's just what we do. Oh my gosh. Well, I appreciate you letting us in on how you guys manage it all and how you came together and your advice for everybody. So it is the, um, the parents out there that kind of shy away from the money conversations. That's what helped you with your dad as much as you hated it. Your dad's phone call every month. Right. And, and for parents that, you know, want, um, you know, to have their kids kind of work through a couple of the growing pains. I know that was a conversation I've had a lot with my mom, you know, she is, um, and has always, you know, raised my sister and I to have some skin in the game one way or the other, whether it's student loans, whether it's, you know, kind of working through some of the, you know, life mistakes. It's, it's something that you learn from and to allow your child to almost go through something that, you know, is probably not a good decision, but you let them 
you let them, you know, learn and you let them work through it. I think um, that's hard. My um, husband's parents definitely were, they were very afraid to kind of let their kids make mistakes. And I feel, you know, it's, it almost hindered his confidence in mm. the world of budgeting and the world of finance, because he was, he was always, you know, too nervous to um, handle a lot on his own. So it just, it, thank God we found each other. You know, we are kind yeah. of each other's yin and yang. He reels me back um, and I, I reel him back, but he, he kind of lets, he lets us live a yeah. little. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Buy some I'm shoes. Like, I get it. I, I understand. <laughs> I would just say communication is so important for kids and parents to go through, even if your kids, you know, kick and kick and shout during it. Um, the biggest thing that I have taken away in my experience working with senior living, long-term care, that whole scope of um, really your golden years is save for retirement. Oh my gosh, save as soon as you can for retirement. It's so important because on the end of things, um, where I, you know, help, se help seniors, it is so sad to see them not prepare in a way for their retirement that they, they should have. And um, so the biggest thing I took away from being in the industry is as soon as you can, 22 is the first time you get your first big girl job or big boy job, even if it's $50 a month, just put something away either in um, certainly your 401k, but open up a Roth. And even if it's a nominal amount, um, it, it adds up and it's something that you don't touch and you pretend it's not there. But if you start to live without that $50 a month, the sooner you can do that, the easier it'll be. But it's just the sooner you start, the more it'll accumulate. So, you know, for folks that start in their 30s and 40s, really 10 years can make a big difference if you started in your 20s. Yeah. So things yeah. to consider. Gosh, I feel like the um, it, it really does come down to who you surround yourself, right? You had your girlfriend, Susie Orman over there by you. You had your parents and these, yeah. uh, you know, senior citizens that you help out uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So you have surrounded yourself with people that, you know, are feeding you such great advice. Yeah, very fortunate for sure. And, you know, we're not perfect. I think that's something too to take away. It's <laughs> there are sometimes, you know, you want to rip your hair out because you went on a big bachelorette party and, or, you know, life goes on, right? You want to be able to have that balance of, of fun. Um, but you just have to be kind to yourself and be patient, yeah. you know, with a lot of these learning curves as you go through your twenties. Um, and I'm sure I will continue to learn as, as I go on, but it's just good to surround yourself with supportive people and to have those really um, clear lines of communication with yeah. your partner, or if it's just you, then manage expectations and make sure those goals are measurable, you know, yeah. set yourself up for success that way. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. Yay. Yes, thank okay. you so much. It was so nice to see you. This conversation is a great segue. Should we be teaching our kids to work for free? Sign up for an internship. Grab a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table next. Kids Table with Susan Beecham. She is the founder of Money Savvy Generation. And today, Susan, we're talking about internships and working for free. Now, this is 
I think this is definitely something that's changed over the years. Don't you feel like when we were yeah. kids, it was like, well, yeah, you work for free. You do whatever you can. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like the mindset has shifted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's ask the kids what they say about internship and working for free, and then we'll get your take on it. Okay. Is it okay to work for free? Um, that's just volunteer work. So if it's for a good cause, yes. But why would you want to work for free? <laughs> you would work as no, an intern. That's not, that's not a job, though. You're learning. That's like still learning. Well, you still stuff. going to work. But that's preparing you for the future. Uh. You're not actually working. You're just watching. So internships are okay. Yes. I think depending on the job is how much you should get paid. And if it's like charity work, like volunteering at a soup kitchen, you shouldn't be getting paid because you're helping people. Uh, okay. And if it's internship, I think you shouldn't be getting paid either. You should like, if if you do a good deed, you sh- uh, um, someone should pay you because, um, because you're doing a good deed. Okay. Is there an age limit to an internship? Depends on what you want to do and what you want to learn. I think adults can be interns if they want to switch their job, like go back to college and want to switch their job. And I think you should be at least 15 to get an internship because I don't know why a 13-year-old or like an 11-year-old would want an internship when they don't need a job. You're eight. Would you want an internship? Ah, uh, maybe. All right, Susan, what do you think? Well, I'm amused um, because I remember... Uh, working when I do actually remember that far back working when I was younger and (laughs) I thought I was brilliant I thought I was this huge resources resource for anyone I worked for but really I was more of a burden because I didn't understand work culture I didn't understand timeliness I didn't understand um, how to make a contribution that wasn't Uh, a drag on the person who was trying to mentor me you don't know that when you're young you you do feel and and our kids are gifted don't get me wrong they do have interestingly different um, skills than us than we ever had when we went into the workforce when I went into the workforce and those skills by the way are more finely tuned the um, IT skills, the computer skills, and so on, the social media, the SEO. Do I have that acronym right? I don't even know. Um, So they have those skills, and so they come to the table with them. But the question is, is it okay to work for free? And free, let's take a moment and understand what free means, because we've had interns in our office, and I have always, they have always come to us and wanted just to work with us to get the experience, to work on projects, to understand what that felt like to work with deadlines. And at the end of the internship, I always paid them a wage based on how much time they had been with us. They didn't know I was going to do that, but that's how I felt. I felt that that was what they were um, owed if they did a good job. But what they also got that they didn't pay for was they got experience, they got something to put on the resume, showing that they worked in an environment, in a work environment, they got a recommendation, Um, they got so many things that they didn't pay for, but that the person that they worked for was paying for, right? Because I was giving my time as well as they were giving their time. So kids need to understand from parents that there's a lot of currency in an internship. 
It doesn't always have to be a paid internship, but as well, if an internship is taking advantage of your child, uh, yeah. you need to talk to them about that as well. So I remember Allison's first job was working in a shoe store. Now, yes, she learned about how to be on time, how to work hard, how to you know take responsibility for the resources that company was letting her use, being a good steward of them. But really, how much do you learn in a shoe store? So it was, it was right that she was being paid. It was right that she was getting an hourly wage. Um, there are some internships with companies where your child has a certain skill set and they really want to hone the skill set and they want to work with people who are levels above them. Well, there's currency in that. They may not be getting paid for it, but they're getting experience contacts and a paid for uh, mentorship, really. Uh, they don't have to pay anyone for the master class. They're getting it. So there's a lot of nuances. And I think what I would come down to is I would tell parents, just talk about it. Encourage your child to explain the internship. Ask them, what did you, you know, what was your work day like? What was a high? What was a low? Um, get them to be used to talking to you about it so that you can steer them in the right direction if they're being taken advantage of. But also emphasize to them that while they may not necessarily believe it, they are truly absorbing and learning very important skills to survive in the workplace yeah, yeah. and thrive later in life. You know, it was funny, a couple episodes ago, uh, probably a handful at this point, but Brandon T. Adams, he's fantastic. He's uh, an Emmy award-winning producer and he has this show, Success in Your City, among other things. But he even said, he recommended to, and he was talking to adults now, you can raise your hand and say, I wanna be your intern. And that's a hard pill to swallow for adults because just even that word, there's like a weird feeling around that word. Wait, what do you want? You want to just, right? Just just use my time and, and not pay me. But as an adult, we should even entertain the idea. Hey, you're right. You yeah. could take a lot from that. You know, I'm my happiest when I'm learning something new yeah, and yeah. I feel it. You know, you feel when you start to stagnate and so as an adult, I will take on challenges that I don't feel comfortable with, and I will learn at the um, kindness of someone else who's a mentor. So I will, um, I will feel that physically. And as an adult, if that's something you need to do so that you can develop contacts, especially now during this pandemic, establish a new set of contacts or even put yourself to the front of the line yeah. for uh, the next position, there is no harm. There is you know, nothing to be ashamed of. That's just a person who understands that they need to continue to learn to be happy. Yeah, I love it. All right, Susan Beecham, how can we find you and follow you? You are welcome to read my point of view at my blog, susanbeecham.com. And then if you get excited about taking the next step, uh, go on over to our website at moneysavvy.com. We've created a bunch of tools and resources to help you take that conversation to your kids to the next step. That wraps it up. Another episode. If you have any questions you want us to answer in No Dump Questions, just reach out. If you have a guest you want me to try to get on the show, let me know. Or if you need help talking to the kids about money, reach out anytime. That's what we're here for. 
Before we leave, we have to give our money victory shout out to Rosalie Klein. She tagged me on Facebook. Oh my God, I'm so excited for Rosalie. She showed a picture of her um, car payment. Balance due is $650, amount due is $359. So she can either pay that all off now or she has one more payment to go. I mean, she's at the finish line of her car payment, which is the most incredible feeling ever. Rosalie, we are so excited for you. We are raising a glass. Cheers to Rosalie. I'm paying off her car and cheers to each and every single one of you who is on your way to being financially confident. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.